0: And whatsoever we ask, we receive of Him, because we keep His commandments and do those things that are pleasing in His sight. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 22. Brothers and sisters, I want to begin this hour by emphasizing to you and by reminding myself as well that that is really what it is all about. Everything for which we are here this afternoon points back to some sentiments in that verse. Everything in your lives and in my life from day to day, week after week, year after year, points back to sentiments in that verse. Namely, that we are here to please God. It's already been emphasized today, but I want to begin with that marker, even this hour. It's not about you. With all due respect, it's not about you. It's not about what you want. It's not about what you like or even prefer. And with all due respect, neither does it matter regarding me. It's about God. And it's about pleasing God and doing what God tells us to do. Whatsoever we ask, we receive of Him. And then John makes two interesting statements there. He says, number one, because we keep His commandments. Young people, there is a growing segment of our own brotherhood who would have you to believe that we don't keep commandments. There is a growing segment of folks who would have you to believe that commandment keeping is outdated. That commandment keeping is not for those of us living under grace. Or friends, the Apostle John didn't know that. He didn't understand that. He says because we keep His commandments. And then he said number two, we do those things that are pleasing in His sight. Now that's what it's all about. I may let down some people who were expecting different things of me. But I don't want to let down God. I may not do what some people think I ought to do. But I want to do what God expects of me. I want to please God and I want to keep God's commandments. So that I can one day go and be with God eternally. By His grace and by His mercies. Now, having said those things, all of this points this hour to fellowship. Whom may we fellowship as God's children and thus be pleasing in His eyes? Who is it that God expects of us and not only expects, but requires of us that we fellowship spiritually? And by answering that question, or perhaps even in the process of answering that question, we're also going to answer the question, from whom must I withhold or exclude my spiritual fellowship? With whom can I not join hands spiritually in religion? And these are viable questions. There are those who will tell you young people that basically anybody... Anybody who believes in Jesus Christ or at least professes to believe in Jesus Christ, believes that He is deity, that He is the Son of God, well then you're in fellowship with that person. You need to hold hands with that person spiritually speaking and you need to encourage them and they need to encourage you. But is that really true? And when I ask, is that really true? I'm asking, is that scriptural? Is that biblical? Do I find that in my Bible? Now, I understand that the word fellowship is not a word that we may use day in and day out. Now, many of us in church circles, we use that word more often than the typical person in the world, likely. But even at that, we may not have the word fellowship at the top of our vocabulary. And so I want you to understand that this hour, I'm not talking about sitting down with someone and eating a social meal. Sometimes in the, in the Lord's church, you say fellowship, and everybody's like, where's the food? You know, we got a fellowship today. My, my son and I, we are both big fans of uh, fellowship Sundays back home. We know that's when we're going to eat after services, and, and Daddy needs to cut his sermon a little bit shorter today. I'm not talking about that. Let me put in layman's terms, to the best of my ability here today, what I mean by spiritual fellowship and what we're going to be pulling out of God's Word in our studies today. When you extend spiritual fellowship to another person, you're in essence saying two things. You with me? I want everybody with me. When you extend spiritual fellowship to another human being, you are essentially saying two things. Number one, you're saying to that person, you are a child of God. You're telling that person that. Now you might not ever explicitly mention those words, but that is the implication of what you're doing. If you're extending spiritual fellowship to a person, you are telling that person you are a child of God. But number two, you're also saying that is to the best of your ability, the best that you can discern and observe, that this person is doing the will of God. You're telling that person you're a child of God, you're doing the will of God, and so you and I are in fellowship, implying, of course, that you're a child of God and that you're seeking to do God's will. Now, young people, I hope that you can sit there this afternoon and can look at this and can realize very, very quickly that this is a big step. When we extend spiritual fellowship to another human being, that's a big step. Because we are in essence saying that person is a child of God. That person is saved. And what that person is doing religiously and morally in their own life is right. We're saying that whether explicitly or implicitly. We are saying that when we extend spiritual fellowship to another person. We're in essence putting our arms around that person's shoulder... And saying, you know, you're alright, I'm alright, we're in fellowship and we're trying to go to heaven together. Now, that's about as colloquial or as in layman's terms as I know to put it. But that's basically what we're doing. Now, see, when it comes to the kingdom of God, when it comes to the church and living the Christian life, there are both privileges and responsibilities. Children of God have privileges that the world does not have, okay? But also, we as children of God have responsibilities to carry out. We have responsibilities that the God of heaven has laid upon our shoulders. And so when we extend spiritual fellowship to another person, we're also telling them, hey, you and I, we share together not only in the privileges... You and I have the same privileges as children of God, but we share together in the responsibilities. We've got to join hands and work together and get to work. Now I want all of you to look up from your Bibles just a moment. Maybe open your eyes. I know this is the graveyard shift when it comes to public speaking. We've all eaten and we're all full and sleepy. But I want everybody to look at my brown eyes for just a moment. You might not can tell they're brown back there, but just look at me please for one moment. And young brothers and sisters in the Lord especially, let me ask you a question. Do faithful congregations of the churches of Christ, faithful congregations of the Lord's church, do we extend that hand of spiritual fellowship to denominations? Do like this. Or do like he said, no. We don't. If you don't remember anything else this hour, I want you to remember this. That's why I've asked you to look at me. As painful as it might be, look at me just a minute. That is not because it's our choice. Do you hear me? The reason we do not extend hands of fellowship to man made human denominations is not because we choose to be belligerent. It's not because we choose to be hard to get along with. You hear me, young people? It's not because we choose to just be different. It's because it is not pleasing in the eyes of God to fellowship those who are in error. Are you listening to me? It's not pleasing in the eyes of God. It doesn't matter what Cliff Goodwin wants. It doesn't matter how Cliff Goodwin might would have it. It doesn't matter. Faithful congregations of Christ's people do not extend their spiritual fellowship to those in the world and to those in religious error because God does not permit us to do so. That's why we don't do it. You say, well preacher, that's the way I've been raised and I've heard that all my life. But to be honest with you, I've gotten older and the last few years I just don't understand it. And I would like for you to show me from the scriptures why it is that we can't fellowship with anybody who's a believer. And I put that that word in those imaginary quotes. I go to school with friends, they believe in Jesus Uh, There's an organization at school, the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. Yes, I brought it up. I said it. And mamas and daddies and parents and youth leaders, you need to be thinking about this. The F in FCA stands for fellowship. That's what it stands for. And when children of God get themselves into that group, you know what they're doing? They're saying to everybody in that group, hey, we're all Christians. When everybody in that group's not all Christians. Something to think about. And in many instances, I say this humbly and with love, but in many instances, something maybe to repent about. You say, well, preacher, you... Chapter and verse. I want you to remember with me this afternoon three A's. When we're talking about spiritual fellowship that we extend as God's people, there are three A's that are involved in this. Number one, the word acknowledgement. Number two, the word association. And then number three, the word approval. When I extend my spiritual fellowship to a human being, I'm in essence giving them my acknowledgement. We're going to talk about that. My association, but also my approval. Number one, acknowledgement. Have you ever noticed how your mom and dad, hopefully, I hope this is the case, have you ever noticed how your faithful gospel preachers, your faithful, godly, qualified elders... Have you ever noticed how they won't refer to anybody out in the religious world as brother? Sister? Now, people come up to me sometimes in the world and they'll call me Brother Cliff or Brother whatever, and and I'm not ugly to them. I'm not rude to them. I know that they do not know the truth, but I do not call them Brother back. I do not do that. If I do, it's a complete slip. I know better than to do that. When we extend spiritual fellowship, number one, it's an acknowledgement to this person that they are your brother or sister in the Lord. You're acknowledging that fact to them and before God for that matter. Now turn with me in your Bible, please, to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 12. I believe we're going to begin reading probably down about verse 46. Matthew chapter 12 at at about verse 46. As you know, our Lord Jesus Christ was often so busy in His public ministry. There were times when multitudes and throngs of people were pressing upon Him and following after Him. And sometimes our Lord just had to retreat. Sometimes He just had to get away for moments of solitude and prayer. Well, here in Matthew chapter 12, our Lord is talking to the people. Notice verse 46. While He yet talked to the people, behold, His mother and His brethren stood without. That is, outside probably this press or this throng of people. His mother and His brethren stood on the outside desiring uh, to speak with Him. Here's His own biological mother, some of His own half-brethren. And they're wanting to talk to Jesus, but they're unable to because of the multitude. Verse 47, then one said unto him, apparently one in the crowd, Jesus, thy mother and thy brethren stand without. They're standing outside here desiring to speak with thee. They want to talk with you. Now, Jesus here was not being rude. He was not uh, being inconsiderate of his family. What Jesus did here is he used this as an opportunity to teach. And that shouldn't surprise any of us. Our Lord was the master teacher, and He knew how to seize an opportunity to teach. And so Jesus replies in verse 48 But He answered and said unto them that told Him, Who is my mother, and who are my brethren? That's a rhetorical question. Jesus already knows the answer to these questions. He wants these people to understand. Who is my mother, and who are my brethren? And he stretched forth his hand toward his disciples and said, Behold, my mother and my brethren. Talking about these people whom he was teaching. These people who were seeking the will of God. They wanted to learn it. They wanted to do it. And he said, These are my mother and my brethren. A figurative statement. Now I want you to underline in your Bible, young people. If you've got a pen and if you write in your Bible, I want you to underline verse 50. Jesus said, For whosoever shall do the will of my Father which is in heaven, the same is my brother and sister and mother. What was the test of brotherhood there? What was the test of fellowship with our Lord? And the answer is the test was, Are you doing the will of the Father? Are you doing God's will or is this lip service? Are you doing God's will or are you doing the will of man? Is it God's way or no way or can you take it or leave it? What's the acid test? Jesus says, if you're doing the will of my Father which is in heaven, you're my brother, my sister, my mother. See, we might not think about it because within the Lord's church, it's commonplace. Hey brother, how are you doing? Hey, sister, how are you doing And, and, and all of you probably haven't been in my shoes. You see that that familiar face and the smile on the face and and you know that person knows you because you've seen them somewhere and somewhere in the back of your mind, you know them, but at the time when you stick out your hand, it's what? Hey brother, hey sister. The reason we do not address people outside of the Lord's church as brother or as sister is because souls outside of the Lord's church are not doing the will of the Father. Matthew 12 and verse 50. They're not doing it. I'm not saying they're bad people. I'm not saying they may not even be honest or sincere people. That's often the case. But I am saying without any reservation that if they are honest and if they are sincere and yet outside of Christ and outside of his church, then they are honestly and sincerely wrong. And it's not because I'm right. It's because the Bible's right. It's not about Cliff Goodwin. Cliff Goodwin's a nobody. Cliff Goodwin's been wrong more than Cliff Goodwin's share of time. This book I hold in my hand has never been wrong. And when people's faith and people's worship and people's lives and people's religious practice are glaringly incongruent to what this Bible says, I cannot address them as my brother outside of Christ, outside of His church. And I'm supposed to say, hey brother, no, I can't. I can't give them that acknowledgement that is involved in spiritual fellowship. But now number two, the next day word that I want you to take home with you today is the word association. Spiritual fellowship involves the acknowledgement that this person is your brother or sister in the Lord that they have obeyed the gospel like you've obeyed the gospel, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God which liveth and abideth forever. But number two, spiritual fellowship is also associating together in the work. Rolling up our sleeves together. Holding hands together as brothers and sisters and getting to work. I want you to open your Bible with me to the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 2. That's in the New Testament, right? There it is. Galatians chapter 2. Let's turn over there for a moment. The Apostle Paul in the first century on occasion, he found himself in a very unusual situation. Here he was, a former rabbi, A former master of the law himself in his own right. And yet now he's obeyed the gospel. He's become a New Testament Christian. And so now he, specifically him, others with him, he's taking the gospel to Gentiles. To people that at one time in his life, he would not have associated with in any way, very likely. But now he's taking them the gospel. Well, I would like to tell you that the entire first century church was on board with that. I would like to tell you that the Jewish Christians in and around Jerusalem and Palestine, they were thrilled to see the Gentiles being brought into the kingdom. I'd like to tell you that, but that really wasn't the case, at least not in the beginning. And probably not for a number of decades. That just wasn't the case. There were a lot of prejudices, a lot of bigotries, a lot of biases that the Jews had toward the Gentiles. And it was difficult for them to conceive that God is actually saving these Gentile people. And and, and they're given equal status in the church of Christ as citizens just like we are. That was hard for them to understand. And so in Galatians chapter 2, Paul is recounting for us, he is going up to Jerusalem to meet with some of the leaders in the Jerusalem church. I want you to read with me verse 9. We're not going to read the entire context for the sake of time, but read with me verse 9. And when James, Cephas, and John, we would know them better as James, Peter, and John, who seemed to be pillars, leaders there in the Jerusalem congregation. When they perceived the grace that was given unto me, they gave to me and Barnabas, one of Paul's colleagues, one of his co-workers. These Jerusalem leaders gave to Paul and Barnabas, now underline this in your Bibles, young people, the right hands of fellowship. They gave unto us the right hands of fellowship that we should go unto the heathen, the Gentiles, and they unto the circumcision, the Jews. Notice here the association between the Christians in and around Jerusalem and also Paul and Barnabas and other Christians for that matter who were laboring outside of Palestine in the Gentile world. They gave them the right hands of fellowship. That was a token. That was a symbol that says, you know what? We're brethren. We're associated together in the same work. You're doing God's work. We're doing God's work. Sure, your efforts may focus on the Gentiles. Our efforts may focus on the Jews. But we understand that all are God's children if they obey the gospel. So we're associated together. We're in fellowship. Sometimes a young Christian comes with a very good question. It's it's not a bad question. And adults who, who berate this young person, adults who browbeat this young person, adults who get angry that this young person even asked this question, you're in the wrong. You're in the wrong. I'll just say that flat out. Because the question I'm about to share with you is a good question. And if we're handling aright the scriptures and if we're studied in the word of God it's not a question we should have any difficulty with I believe that's why sometimes adults get mad when this question is brought up because they don't know how to answer it and so their response is well that's a dumb question you shouldn't even be asking that you should know better but the question to which I'm referring is a young member of the church sometimes raises their hand in class and says why don't we participate in joint worship services in the community with the Baptist and with the Methodists and with the, the press, Why don't we do that? You know what? That's a good question. That's a good question. I'm glad they asked it. And instead of an adult becoming angry and browbeating them and saying, Oh, you know that. Don't, don't try to cause trouble. Why don't you give them a Bible answer? I'll tell you why from the Scriptures. Faithful congregations of God's people do not participate in these ecumenical joint worship services, or for that matter, these joint benevolent outreaches. I'll tell you why. Because to do so would be to associate ourselves with their error. Galatians 2 in verse 9, it would be essentially our giving the right hand of what? The right hand of community? No. The right hand of political correctness? No. You're giving the right hand of fellowship. You're associating yourself with them. Now, I made a statement a while ago, young people. I said, if you don't remember anything else, take that home with you and remember that. Right? Now, I want to point you to a passage. That if you don't remember any other passage, I want you to remember this passage. And I want you to take it home with you today. Okay? Please. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And I want you to turn over there with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. beginning at verse 10. Young people, read this with me in your Bible. You've brought your Bible. You've got access to a pew Bible, perhaps in the back of the pew in front of you. Read this with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning at verse 10, Paul writes by inspiration, Now I beseech you, brethren, I beg of you, I'm pleading with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Now why would Paul bring that up to the Corinthians? Why would he tell them, number one, don't have any divisions? Number two, speak the same thing. Don't don't have some brethren saying this, teaching this, other brethren saying that, teaching that. Speak the same thing. Well, obviously there were divisions afoot there in the Corinthian congregation. Brethren, we're dividing up into cliques or into sects or groups. Verse 11, he highlights this. He says, For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are the house of Chloe. In other words, Chloe's told me about what's going on there. And her family has told me that there are contentions among you or quarrels among you, divisions among you. Now, young people, look at verses 12 and 13. And this is the problem with denominationalism. You take these verses home with you. In verse 12, Now this I say that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, and I of Apollos, and I of Cephas, and I of Christ. You see what they were doing? Some of the Corinthians, they were over here, Hey, we're in the Pauline bunch. We're the Paulites over here. You're with us? Right here. Here we are. Others, well, that, you know, you can be with Paul if you want to. We're, we're of the Apollonian bunch. We're with Apollos over here. Get in our group. Here we are. And the others, no, no, no. We're, we're with Peter. We're with Cephas. We're over here. Y'all get with us. They were dividing themselves up, young people. I want you to look at the three rhetorical questions in verse 13. Number one, Paul says, is Christ divided? And these are rhetorical, meaning the answer is obvious. The answer is no. Christ is not divided. Paul says, why are you divided? Number two, were you baptized in the name of Paul? Or was Paul crucified for you? And the answer is no, Paul wasn't crucified for my sins. Paul says, you better not wear my name. All of you that's in this Pauline bunch that you've gotten together and formed, Paul says, don't discredit my name like that. I didn't die for you. Get my name away from the group. Number three, were you baptized in the name of Paul? Friends, not a one of them were. A generation or two ago, the predominance of members of the Lord's church knew what I'm about to tell you, but we're losing it. We're losing it, and it's frighteningly scary the way we're losing this knowledge. What the Corinthians were doing was sinful. Can anybody in the congregation say amen? It was sinful. Number one, Paul's on his apostolic knees, verse 10, I beseech you. Number two, he invokes the authority of Jesus Christ, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, all from verse 10. He is condemning this. Young people, if it is sinful for men to line up under the name of Paul or under the name of Peter or under the name of Apollos and be divided up religiously, don't miss this. It is sinful for people to line up under the name John Wesley, to line up under the name John Smith, to line up under the name John Calvin, to line up under the name Martin Luther, to line up under the name Cliff Goodwin. It's sinful. None of those men went to Golgotha. Not a one of them. None of them, none of you were baptized in the name of Cliff Goodwin. Cliff Goodwin doesn't have authority to start a church. The church was started 2,000 years ago by Jesus Christ. And shame on these generations that have not taught their babies, and then their children, and then their teenagers why we don't hold hands with denominations. Shame on you. I fail in a lot of ways as a parent. I know I do. But my nine-year-old son can tell you how many true churches there are. That's the way it's been for 2,000 years. I didn't start that. That's not my being hard to get along with. That's just the plain and simple fact of the matter. Young people, it matters what name you wear. Because in wearing a name, you're aligning yourself with a group. And to align yourself with any religious body, rather than the body of Christ, the church of Christ, is a sin. And it breaks my heart that more and more men are too cowardly to say that. But I want everybody in this room this morning or this afternoon to go home knowing that. We might not can change the entire generation that's coming up, but we can change the lives in this room. And we don't associate ourselves with denominations because it's sinful. Denominationalism is sinful, and our condoning that would be sinful. That brings us to the third and the final A, and my time's up. But the third and the final A involved in fellowship is approval. When I fellowship a person spiritually, I'm acknowledging that person as my brother or sister. I'm associating myself with that person in our religious worship, in our religious service. We're associated together. We're working together. But also, all of that implies that I'm approving that person's doctrine. I'm approving that person's actions. I'm approving that. I'm in essence saying, hey, I'm on board with you. You're doing the will of God. Now, the verse that comes to mind here for me is Ephesians 5 and verse 11. In Ephesians 5 and verse 11, the Bible says, "...and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness." Yes, in the context of Ephesians 5, he is talking about moral darkness. I have no problem stating that. In the context of Ephesians 5, he's talking about moral darkness. But friends, I'm here to tell you, when it comes to spiritual darkness, religious darkness is just as black and just as dark as moral darkness. You study the book of Judges and what you see is actually the two go hand in hand. You get people who depart doctrinally or religiously, and guess what? The moral digression is going to follow. Darkness is darkness. And so the Bible tells me as a New Testament Christian don't fellowship. Don't fellowship. Don't put your arms around darkness and say, hey, you're all right, and I'm all right, and we're on the same team. Don't do that. But then the last part of the verse, young people, intrigues me it says, but rather reprove them. That Greek word translated reprove there means to convict. Some translations read expose them. Maybe you've had this question come up and if so, I want to I offer you an answer. Sometimes young people come to their preachers or to their elders or to their parents and they're like, you know, uh, my friend at school wants me to go to services with them this Sunday. They attend denomination A, B, C, whatever And my friends invited me to come and they say that if I'll come with them, that they'll take a Sunday and come with me. What do you think, mama, daddy? What do you think, elder? What do you think, preacher? What do I need to do? Bible says, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. But rather reprove them. Number one, if you're going on a Sunday, you're forsaking the assembly of God's people to be with those in error. I don't know if you realize that, but that's what you're doing. You're forsaking the assembly of God's people to assemble with those in error. That's a sin. Hebrews 10, verse 25. But let's say you went on a Monday night to, to revival. That's the next question always comes up. I'm not going to miss one of my services. You know what I tell young people at home? I tell them if I understand Ephesians 5 and verse 11, if you go, then you've got to do what you can to convict them of their error. Because if you go by and you sit silently as an observer, you sit there quietly, you don't sing with the piano, and and you don't bow your head and pray along with their prayers. You just sit there as as an observer and get up and leave. Does anybody in the congregation know that you're not on board with them. I'm just asking. I, I don't know necessarily know the answer to that. But I know that if I went. I would have to ask for an opportunity to speak. At the end. And respectfully convict the error. Going on at that place. That's the way I read Ephesians 5.11. You may say well I, I don't see it that way. But brethren, the Bible says what it means, and it means what it says. Your presence there, with no objection, your presence is likely going to imply your participation and your fellowship. How are you going to overcome that? How are you going to turn that tide and let people know that you're not fellowshipping, you're not participating in this? That's a difficult question. And I suggest that you stay out of those tempting situations. As you close your Bibles now and prepare to offer the Lord's invitation, let me recap briefly our three A's. We extend spiritual fellowship to another person when we acknowledge them as a brother and sister in Christ. When we associate with them in the work of the Lord. And when we implicitly or explicitly approve Of what they're doing. So far as they can tell. I don't have a problem with what they're doing. In their eyes I'm approving them. And in their eyes I'm fellowshipping them. 34 years of age. I'll be 35 in June if I make it home tonight. And if I live to June 3rd. I'll be 35. Based on what Moses wrote in Psalm 90. If I were to live an average life. On June 3rd of this year, I will have lived roughly half my life on this earth. It's half gone. Twenty years from now. Twenty years ago, I was sitting where you're sitting. I was 15 years of age, 14, 15. Going to youth rallies, going to youth events. Twenty years ago. Twenty years from now, Lord willing, I'll probably have grandchildren. I hope I do. The world stands. I don't know where the Lord's church is going to be in every place 20 years from now. I don't know what kind of church my grandchildren are going to inherit, if you will. But I'm asking you today, as a brother, as a father, And as a future grandfather, I'm asking you today to stand in the gap and to hold to the truth. Don't believe it's old-fashioned. Don't believe it's antiquated. Just believe it's the Word of God, because that's what it is, and hold to it. And let's do what we can to preserve the fellowship of God's people. And not to pollute and dilute God's fellowship with religious error. I'm asking you to do that today.